This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's up? Two two forty nine. This episode, I think. Two forty nine. Yeah, two hundred forty ninth nice. episode. So yeah, we yeah uh, two fifty sneaking up on us here. So we'll have to have something to to do for we gotta, that. So. We gotta do some note on that one. Yeah, it's uh, happy two forty nine to us. Yes. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. We've been uh, we've been we've been fiercely going through our archives, trying to clean all that stuff up. Uh, I know a lot of people have mentioned to us over the last few months that, hey, what the hell happened to all your guys' old podcasts and stuff? And, uh, well, it's a long story, but uh, not our <laughs> choice, believe it or not, to delete all of our archives from every yeah. uh, RSS feed that ever had them. Uh, not our choice, but uh, it happened, and we are currently trying to recover as much as we can. But uh, you and I have talked about it, and, and we are going to do it. Uh, start uploading some classic uh, episodes to our feed as well, and we'll, we'll let people know obviously that this episode was released in you know 2015. So some of the stuff that's being said sure. isn't totally relevant, but uh, we, a lot of people have asked about that, and, and we know, uh, and we're doing what we can to uh, to fix that. But in in that, I discovered yeah, we're at 249. So cool, nice, good good deal. Yeah, and fortunately, again, with most of our past episodes, you know, are going to be pretty much relevant information today than there is uh than it was in 215 with the exception of you know minor thing here or there some records updating or or what have you but you know occasionally you can um you know look at how silly we were to have those opinions in 2015 you know yeah there was one i actually wanted to go back and listen it was us like previewing you know the 2015 season or something Uh, like that with like hey here's like you know what's gonna happen in 2015 and here's like history that could be made or whatever and i would love to just hear like you know uh, what what, i'm I'm even trying to remember what like the hot takes of 2015 were but right uh this warriors thing i don't know (laughs) you can't trade you can't trade mata ellis and expect you know no you can't shoot all those threes that's ridiculous (laughs) nobody nobody can has whatever making shooting so many threes yeah just completely absurd yeah um yeah that'll be fun that'll be fun um but for this episode that we're that we're getting into um we are looking at players who have legacies with two franchises basically players who are important in two franchises histories trying to to kind of dig into 
that phenomenon of having your legacy kind of split within two franchises. And what we did here was we found um, a list of players who have played more than 15,000 minutes with two separate franchises. And it's a, it's a a pretty small list. We'll get into it here and we'll talk a little bit about um, also other franchises and the players that have had more than 15,000 minutes on each franchise and, you know, what it says about each franchise uh, going forward. So um, as we get into it, I'm sure the topic will become more clear. I may not have explained it to the uh, best in the uh, in the prelude, but I, I do think it is an interesting topic. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when 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 you initially came up with the topic, and I'm thinking, oh, man, it's got to be a lot of guys, right? Like it seems like there should be a lot more guys. And what we found out in this is that there's not a lot of people that fit our exact criteria here. The 15,000 uh, minutes for two franchises. There's a lot of very close things where like people are just a few minutes away or a hundred minutes away or a thousand minutes away or whatever. But again, I do I, I think it is kind of shocking that it isn't higher. Uh, on this list and the list that we have it's a, it's a very interesting list and I think every single player that we talk about is a guy that I don't know that I'm shocked is on the list they're all like all-time great players but in some of the ways and, and, and the minutes they achieved and that sort of stuff is a little bit surprising so uh, I think it was a really interesting topic when, when you brought me you know brought it up and and yeah the research has been a lot of fun too to, to see that and and like you said ultimately what we're going to try to find out too is is the importance in team history of these guys because these are all guys these are not Kobe Bryant who had his entire career with the Lakers and and firmly planted his flag with the Los Angeles Lakers or whatever these are guys who really could have interesting legacies because they might have a legacy with this franchise or that franchise or even if they had more minutes on franchise a they mean more to franchise a history than they do to franchise b or you know so it's really interesting in that sense to try to figure out you know where these people fit and where you know they fit in the franchise's you know real legacy and importance in the in, the, in that team's history as well yeah absolutely and uh you know one note for record keeping purposes uh we do not have minutes totals for anyone pre-1952 nba so the first two seasons of the nba plus the baa nbl totals don't officially count uh it doesn't affect anybody um on the you know 15,000 in two franchises list but some of the uh franchise totals may be slightly skewed because it's not counting guys before then but no one important really is is left off here um i don't think so uh but just wanted to note that for the record but um yeah we'll start breaking down the list uh first uh Karnil Jabbar, of course the all-time uh leader overall in nba aba minutes um played for the milwaukee bucks for the um uh, for the first six seasons of his career in which he had almost 20,000 minutes. Uh, also played for the Lakers at uh, 37,492 uh, minutes, uh, ranking second in uh, team history. He's fourth in franchise history for the Bucks. There are 14 Bucks total who have more than 15,000 minutes in franchise history. Uh, slightly higher than I would have expected still in, in franchise history. I guess, you know, it, relatively short amount of time, but of course he played a whole lot of minutes during uh, those seasons. Yeah, that, that's and a lot of these guys that, that we are going to bring up. It, it, it is interesting because you, you'll kind of think, wait, wait a minute, that guy played, he played that many minutes for that team or whatever. And, and Kareem was the first one where I was like, oh man, really, he's got that many minutes of the Bucks. But then you go look at his numbers and it's like, oh yeah, this man played every minute of every game he had in a Milwaukee uniform. Uh, so yeah, while the years aren't that long, the, uh, the, the, the minutes played are, are gigantic too. And, and, and it's a, I think it's a surprisingly amount of years too. I think like a lot of people kind of assume he got bored and, and done with Milwaukee in like two, three years or whatever. And he did play there, I think a little bit longer than people expect, but yeah, the minutes load is really what puts him over the top here with, you know, the almost 20,000 minutes played in, in, in just, uh, you know, a, a couple seasons there. So. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, he, uh, if you just look at his books years, um, 
he had uh, almost 115 win shares and his total would be 57th all time in NBA ABA history had he retired after only six seasons. Um, first, <laughs> first in Bucks history in points and rebounds. He's eighth in assists. It's a little surprising there, uh, but he was, you know, good, good passing big man. Uh, won three MVPs and had six all-stars in six seasons. Um, was also all NBA five times, including four times on the first list. Only 25 other players have more than four all NBA first team appearances. So, um, and also was on the all defensive team, uh, four times, including two first team appearances. And, Sort of interesting debate on where he would land in importance in team history. Um, you know, and obviously Giannis, you know, is, is is creeping up in this conversation and, you know, maybe number one here in a few years, depending on how many, you know, how long he lasts with the Bucks, first of all, and, you know, if he's able to win multiple MVPs. Um, but I, I think he has a pretty strong case of still being number one as of this recording, um, you know, you, you could sort of think about somebody like Sidney Moncrief, mm-hmm. but he was really good, but not, you know, he was never quite like a superstar. And, yeah. and they didn't, the eighties teams didn't really have a single superstar. Yeah. Marcus you know? Johnson is, is there too. There's a lot of like the, the Bob Dandridge, like there's a lot of those names that are like guys that were like, yeah, those were really good players and maybe sentimentally they're higher on the list. But sure, I, right. I kind of think you got to pick Kareem, right? <laughs> like, I mean, given yeah. that the franchise hasn't reached the peaks that they reached went with him, right. uh, you know, since then and stuff, I think like you, you're absolutely right. Giannis in the next, if he resigns and he sticks in Milwaukee, I think if he's they a shoe in. Yeah, yeah right. especially yeah. if they win a title, then it's a no doubter. But I think even with you know he, he resigns there and 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 barring good health and all that sort of stuff, maybe wins another MVP or so. I think he then supplants Kareem. But like right now, I I don't know that I can bet against Kareem. I mean, there's a lot of names there of like guys that were real good, solid pieces on the Bucks for many many years. But it's still got to be Kareem, right? I mean, he took the NBA by storm and and really got that franchise again. Like we said on heights that they haven't been to since so yeah I, you know you you could like in terms of like guys who were sort of superstars you know, marcus johnson was kind of the only borderline one but um you know obviously he got traded and then injury sort of derailed his his career so i don't think he quite gets to that point but he's sort of the only one i would say in, in history pre honest who even kind of approaches that you know conversation yeah like ray allen was you know i think kind of a yeah, star, but, but, but like, the team, yeah, but team wasn't. I mean, they had one conference finals appearance, right, but yeah, the right, team right. wasn't really that strong. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, I would say, um, you know, Kareem for sure. Um, yeah, and then Lakers history, you know, it's real interesting. You know, obviously three MVPs, ten All NBA appearances on the Lakers, um, six time All Defensive Team, which I didn't quite realize he was on the All Defensive Team that many times. Um, I'm sure we talked about that when we back we did some Kareem episodes, but um, I. Completely forgotten about that. Um, only 52 players in history with more career minutes total than Kareem's uh, total with the uh, with the Lakers. So you only take the 14 years of his Lakers career. Still, you know, just outside the top 50 all time in minutes. I play a lot of minutes, folks. That's all. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Good, good player too. Kareem. We, we've yeah. done we've done many things yeah. in our 249 episodes, and and many times we have uh, reiterated this point. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a very good player. Yes, in the point where yes. you can just have him as a Bucks player, and he's like a top 50 player all time, or right. just with the Lakers, and you're like, man, that guy's like a top 30 player all time, just oh, yeah. on one team, and he did it with two teams over the course of many, many years. Kareem, good. Right. So you know. Importance in team history, that that's sort of a tough one. Um, you know, certainly t- top five. I mean, you know, he had five rings there. He was, you know, best or, you know, right next to Magic, you know, uh, second best player for three of those. Um, 
you know, I, I would say he has a case for number one importance in team history. I think most people would argue Magic Johnson or Kobe Bryant, maybe Jerry West as well. Um, you know, and, and sentimentally, he's definitely not near the top of the list, I think, for most fans, especially more modern fans. You know, I think, you know, Shaq would be in that conversation as well in terms of sentimental favorites. But um, but yeah, I, I think without a doubt, top five. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one in, in in Los Angeles just because there are, like you said, those just mega stars that you're talking about here uh, with guys like you know Magic and Kobe, and, and and those guys are benefited, of course, by playing their entire careers with the Lakers. So I think sentimentally they'd probably be right. ahead of Kareem. But yeah, I think you can easily make a case for him being in the mix. But I, I would probably I'd pick one of Magic or Kobe most likely. So yeah, no, I I would agree. All right, you ready for our next guy here? I am. This one's interesting. Jason Kidd. So Jason Kidd, fifth all-time in minutes. Uh, Mavericks. Mavericks, 17,303 minutes with the Mavericks. And and this one initially caught me by surprise because I don't know why I didn't, but I would have never believed that he had that many minutes with the Mavericks. But then, you know, you'd, you'd take an account that he had his first, you know, run there. It was a very short run, obviously, with, with the Mavericks until he's, you know, traded. And, and, and then he comes there in the, you know, the last half of his career, goes to the Mavericks. And, and I think probably hangs around a lot longer than you think. In that 2008 to 2012 run, because, yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, it's 6,493 minutes in that first run, which is, you know, 95 to 97, halfway through 97. Uh, and then the second run, 2008 to 2012, you know, it, it's midway through the season in 2008 or a few games into the season there. But it actually accumulates 10,810 minutes in that second run. And I think that caught me by surprise because initially I just I don't know if I knew he was there that long. I, I don't know. Did you were you surprised by Jason Kidd being on the uh, list at all? A little bit, yeah. And he played, uh, I mean, at age 35, he played 2,800 minutes. Um, age 36, another 2,800. Age 37 plays, you know, 2,600. So, um, you know, yeah, close to 3,000. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, played 80, you know, played um, 80 plus games all three of those seasons. So, yeah, he, he was able to accumulate a lot of minutes by just, um, you know, playing more than players as they generally um more minutes than guys say generally play. So that obviously, you know, uh, helps contribute it for sure. And I, I do think as well that, that we, we should probably remember too that when he was traded to the Mavericks initially in 2008, he was still, he wasn't like what he was maybe early 2000s, but he was still a very, very important, a very, like that was a big deal when that happened. Right. By yeah. the time they eventually win their title and by 2012, he is very much slowing down. He's just kind of a role player, just kind of a spot up shooter, not necessarily the guy that's kind of controlling everything. But I do think we do have to remember too that, like you said, in 2008, 2009, 2010, and even through most of 2011, he is still like a very productive, very big deal. So it's, it's like, I, for whatever reason, I just think of his as like a really old like decrepit man on the Mavericks but it's like no he really wasn't he was he was still you know a pretty uh, uh important player at that time and I, a weird fun fact that I found out doing the research it probably doesn't have anything to do with this exact topic but um Jason Kidd never once came off the bench as a Dallas Maverick started every game he played as a Dallas Maverick that is a fun fact and then there's other weird ones too I was like man this guy really doesn't like coming off the bench twice came off the bench for the Nets which makes sense again he's, he's the star player of the Nets but like even like a weird like injury rehab thing or whatever just twice in his entire career with the Nets once with the Suns and only 28 times in his final season with the Knicks so he was a man who liked to start and liked to play a lot of minutes that's probably why uh, he gets on this list but uh, as far as other Mavericks stuff uh, the accolades when he was with the Mavericks rookie of the year uh, two-time all-star as we said the uh, 2011 NBA champion 10th uh, in franchise history right now uh, in win shares at 39 and when you, we talk about you know his importance in team history Jason Kidd's importance to Dallas Mavericks team history I mean very much behind Dirk obviously that Dirk's the number one no doubter I think 
Uh, Rolando Blackman, I believe, is, is, is probably has a better case than Jason Kidd. I, I guess Jason Kidd would be top five, but I'd be very curious to ask like, a Dallas Mavericks fan what they, you know, where they slot a Jason Kidd comparable to like a Michael Finley type. You, you know what I mean? Like where, you know, another sentimental favorite in, in terms of Michael Finley, but Jason Kidd probably should be higher than Michael Finley, but I don't know if he is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Probably top five, but I don't know if I can, yeah, I don't know if I can name like four other do or four or five other guys that deserve to be higher than him. Yeah, I mean, Jason Terry be up there, I think, more maybe more sentimentally than um, actual value. I mean, I, I think it. I, I don't know. It's interesting because, of course, the the 2011 Mavs that won the championship, they didn't really have a clear second best player. I mean, they had a lot of guys who were good. Uh, you know, Terry obviously was really good. Karan Butler was good. Sean Marion was good. Stoyakovich, of course. Yeah, so. Paige, Paige, yeah. I mean, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, they had a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, they they had a lot. They were a really deep team. They had a lot of guys who were you know who were names who hadn't won anywhere else and who were really good. I mean, Chandler was probably the second best player on that team, but I'm um, I don't know. Yeah, you you could definitely you could even make Kid. I mean, Kid was by then was thirty seven and. Um, you know, like you said, he was doing more spot up shooting. Maybe he was directing the offense to a degree, but um, but he and Terry, I think, you know, kind of shared those duties for the most part. Berea as well off the bench. So, um, uh, you know, he. Uh, so I think that the fact that there was nobody else who was clearly the second best player on the team, I think, maybe helps him a little bit because you know Dirk gets the line share of the credit for that for that title. Um, and, and I guess you know he's kind of more beloved maybe than Michael Finley because because of that championship. Even though you know, Finley probably had a little bit more um, longevity with the team. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's hard to say because he's kind of an unlikable personality. But because <laughs> right. um, but because of the championship, I think he you know there's still a lot of uh, a lot of fans who's there. But yeah, I, I would say I would say I'd probably slot him third. Um, but I think he's like right there with somebody like. You know, Finley, like Nash, you know, even like Mark Aguirre. Yeah, Derek Harper, too. Some of the, yeah, Derek Harper, yeah. Some of the 80s 80s guys, yeah. Um, With a better peak than pretty much any of those guys. But most of his peak years were outside of Dallas. I mean, first two seasons. So, um, yeah, I I, I think that would push him down a little bit lower is that his best seasons were elsewhere, but he was still really good for a while for those teams so yep. and, it, and speaking of his, his, his peak years the nets are the other team here uh right. he's in there eighteen thousand seven hundred thirty three uh minutes as a net uh led leads the nets of course to two straight nba finals appearances uh four-time all-star as a net three-time all-nba first team uh as a net as it stands right now second in franchise history and win shares still uh for new jersey at 56.6 uh buck williams number one at 62.8 so he's not far off from there uh ports in team history I mean, it's the Nets, so it's not like you have a ton of other options. I think, you know, pretty safely behind Julius Irving, number two, right? Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's any case for him ahead of Julius Irving, um, and there's not really any case for anyone ahead of of Kid. I, I, yeah, Buck Williams, we'll talk about a little bit later, but I, I just don't think Buck Williams, who was a really solid player, and um, I, you know, has any case ahead of Kid. So I think I think it's pretty pretty clearly. Um, number two yeah the if you ever want like a really just to understand what that that franchise has been through over their history is go and look at the brooklyn nets like you know franchise leaders and win shares it is i'll just tell you vince carter's seventh and like you know what i mean like right. that's it's uh, not good Derek coleman is eighth um richard jefferson's fourth yeah so, <laughs> right that's yeah. what i'm saying it's Perry, like Perry Kittles is next. yeah, yeah you know. it's not great i mean all yeah. good players solid guys pretty good guys but it's just like holy crap yeah when, when you read that you realize it's irving it's kid i guess it's buck and then it's just like a bunch of guys that played for the nets over 
a course of, of time. So, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Chris Morris Perfectly. is 11. Chris Morris. Like, Chris Morris. Come yes. on. Yes. Yes. Mike Kaminsky's 10th. So, yeah, right. Uh, like, what are we right. doing here? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> what are we doing here? That's a good question. <laughs> nuts. Um, yeah. Oh, one last thing about uh, about Kitty. He had a rare distinction. He almost, almost got to three here. Uh, Suns. He's within striking distance of fifteen thousand with the Suns. Uh, Twelve thousand thirty-two minutes. So um, again, as, as and, and you made a, a, a astute observation in the notes here uh, for a man with a uh, history of triple doubles. Nice, uh, nice nod here. They almost have, yeah. uh, uh, you know, almost almost have three teams there. But uh, well, I don't know. Phoenix could suit him up maybe for the quarantine, right? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, they're not. They're yeah. not there. They didn't get invited. I don't think. Right. I think they actually did. They get did, invited. But, I forget. Oh no, I yeah, think they did. I, yeah, I think they did get yeah, invited. So right. Um, there we go. So call him. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Why not? Not far yeah. off there. I don't know if he's. I don't yeah. know that he's going to accumulate three thousand minutes uh, during quarantine. But uh, uh, probably not. No. <laughs> probably would feel like it. But right. Yes. So uh, next we have Elvin Hayes, uh, who is sixth overall in NBA history with. Um, in minutes uh, with the bullets. He has uh, 29,218 with the rockets. He has 20,782 He's the only player um, who has more than 20,000 minutes with two franchises. Um, and of course he had exactly 50,000 for his career um, with the bullets. Uh, he uh, he's second on the, in the franchise history behind um, Wes Unselt. There are 11 players in uh, Wizards of Bullets history who have crossed that threshold of 15,000. He was an eight-time All-Star, um, three-time first All-NBA, three-time second All-NBA, uh, twice second All-Defensive team. Uh, he's second in team history in win shares. Uh, in terms of importance in team history, I, I think he's clearly number two to Wes Unseld uh, and was probably the best player on the 1978 championship team. I, I don't think there's really much debate there. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that, yeah, right where you have him is exactly where I would have him too. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody who's played since who I think was really in, you know, contention. I mean, somebody like, you know, Arenas or Wall, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't play long enough and have had, you know, are, you know, um, you know, with Arenas, obviously a bad exit with Wall. There's been, you know, injuries and stuff. I mean, Beal, you know, know, he's had some good years, but I think is nowhere near, you know, played long enough for the team to even kind of approach that conversation. So and there's no one else really – you know, in any other periods who, you know, could you, you could even kind of think um, on that level. So I think, right. You know, yeah. Team success wise too. It's hard to imagine like, you know, Bradley Beal at any point in his, you know, B- wizards career ever, you know, accumulating that much, you know, uh, in, in terms of playoff runs or, you know, title yeah, runs or anything like that. Like it's, it's, right. it's probably yeah. not going to, he, he could stay there for another 10 years and accumulate a bunch of stats or whatever. But like, I don't know if it's really ever going to reach the levels that like Unselm Hayes and those sort of guys did. So, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the Rockets. Uh, he is sixth all time in minutes. Thirteen players have crushed that uh, fifteen thousand threshold. He had fall four time All Star appearances. Never was on the All um, NBA team. He's. Um, we'll get a few more details about his career um, with the uh, Rockets, but he ranks tenth uh, in team history in win shares. In terms of importance, team history. You know, he's. You know, clearly behind you know the top five, who you know I would say Olajuwon, James Harden, Moses Malone, um, Calvin Murphy, and Rudy Tomjanovich, and then you know then I think he starts to be in the conversation uh, with Yao at number six. Although I would I would put him behind um, Yao overall. Yeah, yeah, I would as well. 
but but you know then i i don't know if there's anybody who i would say is definitely ahead of him you're talking about guys who were more like role players who yeah you know, you're were there for like a long time you're right you're otis thorps you're steve francis's you're you know kenny smith type guys which Robert like those Reed. guys yeah yeah, yeah like, those guys are yeah. there Roddy McRae, yeah. So uh, he probably, I would say, somewhere around seventh. Um, if you, you look at uh, kind of his Rockets career, um, his jersey is retired by the Bolts, not by the Rockets. Um, you know, his most productive Rockets year were actually in the beginning, which was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Played there from 69 to 71. Led the franchise to its first playoff appearance in his rookie season. Also led the league in scoring. Definitely was the first star in franchise history. Um, did play one year with the Rockets after they moved to Houston. Um, but it wasn't really, you know, it was not, not a good team. Only 34 wins. He feuded with the coach text winner at the time. Uh, not really a great homecoming for the, you know, he, he played college, of course, at the university of Houston was a huge college basketball star. Um, and they, they, they played a bunch of games away from Houston because there were a lack of arena options there when they first moved. Um, then, you know, the Rockets franchise, you know, was was pretty mediocre after they traded him in 72, you know, until they were kind of gifted Moses Malone. But even then, you know, the only, you know, real good deep playoff run they had was like a year where they finished 42 and 40. Uh, and then he returned to Houston in 82 after the team had come off that finals appearance in 81. Kind of had one solid season there before the team lost career and they began, began tanking and he was relegated to a bench role trying to reach the 50,000 minutes mark so yeah i don't know if he quite did enough to really warrant a jersey retirement for the rockets i don't know if you have any strong opinions about that yeah i mean i i I tend to not really have super super strong opinions about uh jersey retirements curtis harris though our friend curtis harris who is doing a great series uh, on his newsletter right now about those but uh yeah i never knew because like there's it's not like i like things that have like set criteria or whatever and it's just basically like every franchise just decides yeah you know i'll retire everybody or some franchise like we're retiring nobody like so it's hard to say exactly but you're probably right that I don't know that he 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 does elicit like my initial reaction of should they retire his number is 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 it's generally no. And I don't know that like, yeah, I don't know that anything really would turn me on to the yes other than like some sentimental value uh, for him or, or something like that. But like you said, yeah, his, his big the most of the big years that he does in that franchise are in San Diego. So that's always a tough thing when you're retiring a guy's number, when a lot of the stuff they do, you know, a lot of the important stuff they do, you know, took place in another city. Cause for whatever reasons, like those franchises don't really embrace that. We've talked about that a lot in, in many other shows, but like when you, when you move from another town, like, that town doesn't really embrace what you, even though it's the same franchise, the same Jersey, the same, whatever yeah. they tend to not embrace it as much. It doesn't seem to count as much then. Oh no, you yeah. did it for us and for our city and our team or whatever. So that's always the thing. And, and like you said, yeah, the, the, it's not like Houston was really like a, a bastion of success when he was uh, there. So I, I have I don't think I have an issue with that, but like if they wanted to say tomorrow, Hey, we're retiring his number. I'd also be like, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I don't care. Yeah. Retire them all. I, I, retire every number. It's fine. I, I want to also know a, a snapshot of where Elvin Hayes ranked in NBA history when he retired. Just just, just for some trivia. Uh, he was first in minutes played, as we mentioned, 50,000. Will was um, about 2,000 behind him. Um, uh, of course, Kareem would pass that mark you know, fairly soon afterward. Uh, win shares, he was 14th all time. Uh, total rebounds, he was third all time. And total points, he was also third all time. So we ranked very highly on, um, you know, some obviously had a long career, you know, played the most minutes um, and you know had a lot of longevity for uh, uh, the time and still, of course, you know, sixth all time in um, in minutes played. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting, maybe higher ranked in some of those things than uh, you might expect, given, you know, where his reputation is. 
All right, so let's move on to our next guy here, Artis Gilmore. Right. This is a fun one here. Are you, are, sorry, are you done with Elvin? I am done with Elvin, Okay, yes. sorry, I didn't want to cut you off there and move oh, over to good. Yeah. Artis Gilmore. So let's do that. Artis Gilmore, 14th uh, all-time in minutes. Uh, Kentucky Colonels is the first spot where he gets uh, the first franchise. 70,449 minutes there uh, with the Kentucky Colonels. Five-time All-Star. Uh, led the uh, ABA in rebounding in each of his five years with the Colonels. Uh, 1972 ABA MVP and Rookie of the Year in the same season. 1975 ABA Championship. I mean, yeah, the the list of, of, of accomplishments are, are, are numerous for Artis Gilmore. Uh, as a Kentucky Colonel, and as far as his importance in that franchise's history, obviously uh, doesn't uh, doesn't have a much a lot of history after you know uh, Artis is there, but uh, I'd say he's definitely number one. If you want to make a case for Dan Issel as number one, that's fine. I would listen to that, but I, I think I probably put Artis uh, number one. But I don't know that many people are going to be arguing with us or, or very passionate about the Kentucky Colonels much anymore. So. Uh, maybe, yeah, you maybe got some Louis, you know some Louisville listeners who are you know big on the Colonels who are like, how dare you, you know. Um, not named Dan Nissel as uh, as number two. Yeah, um, no, I think you know Louis Dampier fans may be out there like you know how dare you not name Louis Dampier you know number one. But um, yeah, I mean I think it's pretty clearly uh, artist or so I would agree. Artist kind of leans here, and, and you know as we get into, I, I think the, the artist is the first player where I think this really affects to a certain degree because I think. The other players, I mean, you know, maybe Hayes doesn't get like the total credit for his career, but, you know, certainly the Bolts, I think, have honored him appropriately and, um, you know, so, and, and so forth. But I feel like, you know, artists with, you know, half of his career coming with a franchise that doesn't exist anymore, I think the kind of the importance that he had overall is maybe muted a bit because of, you know, the kind of the, the split in histories and also the fact, you know, that one of the teams that he um, played for doesn't exist anymore. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we'll go to the Bulls here uh, now, too, which is a very interesting debate uh, as far as Artis Gilmore. There's another guy later, too, with, with the Chicago Bulls that I think uh, it kind of ties in with Artis Gilmore, but we'll get to him in a bit. But Artis Gilmore, 16,777 uh, uh, minutes with the Bulls. Uh, six seasons in Chicago, 1977 and 1982. Uh, in that time, a four-time All-Star. Never made the All-NBA team, though. Unfortunately, uh, a man named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, another man named Bill Walton, and also Moses Malone were also playing his position at the same time. So a uh, lot of good centers in the league at this time. But uh, we should note, though, that he is tied for eighth in uh, box plus minus uh, with Bob Lanier from uh, you know 1977-82 in that time period. So, so very good numbers uh, for him there seventh in PR and fourth in wind shares. So, uh, and artist Gilmore too. He's a guy who wind shares wise, like fucking loves him. Wind shares yeah, loves right. artist Gilmore. Yeah. And, and, and you're yeah. always kind of surprised when you see the names on there. Cause for whatever reason, he doesn't come up as a guy you would initially think of like being, you know, a top five player in a, in a, in a time period, but he absolutely was, I mean, he no doubt was, uh, and wind shares kind of bears that out. Um, as well, uh, only two playoff appearances with the Bulls, and I think that probably hurts his case a little bit uh, as well. But yeah, he is fourth in franchise history uh, in total win shares in Chicago Bulls history. But that gives to you know this debate about importance in team history. So now he's fourth in franchise history in win shares, but I mean, there's no doubt he's behind Jordan, he's behind Pippen. Those are no doubters. Not even a debate there. The issue though is is the importance that the Bulls took on in the '90s. And the popularity that they they kind of rode from the '90s on, still to today, to really to today, it makes it tough to pick any you know '70s bull or any '80s pre-Jordan bull as 
being really important to the team history because they just it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for, for that era. You know, having, you know, grown up in Chicago and gone to many, many Bulls games. I mean, Artis Gilmore, they show him on the Jumbotron during the intro. You, you know, you see his number up there, but he's kind of a non-factor. I mean, I, I think if you asked, if you polled an audience at the United Center and asked them, hey, importance of team history, where does all Artis Gilmore rank? Obviously Jordan, obviously Pippen, but I think you'd also have the same debates for guys like a Kukoc, coach, a Dennis Rodman, uh, a Horace Grant. Even when you go into the you know 2000s and the 2010s, your Kirk Heinrichs, your Derek Roses, your Joe Kim Noahs, those sort of guys, I think all are higher than him on those lists. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I don't know that I would rank him that way, but but definitely like in the public conscious, I think Artis Gilmore would be solidly behind a lot of those guys. And I think, unfortunately, for, for right or for wrong, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit with, with you know, Chet Walker in a, in a bit, I think he's solidly behind guys like Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, and Bob Love in like how the franchise would kind of consider those guys, which again is not right, but all those guys like Jerry Sloan, you know, be, became a coach and became kind of a figure uh, in Chicago. Bob Love worked for the team forever. Norm Van Leer was like our main broadcaster type guy. So that always kind of clouds it to the point where I think like if you ask people, artists would maybe not even be in the top 10, but I think that that's ridiculous because he, he should be, but it, it's, it's, the, the you know, 70s and 80s bulls just don't resonate with, with really anybody, you know, so it's always tough with guys like that. Yeah, no, that, I think you said it really, really well. And um, yeah, because honestly, like if you look at how important he was to the team's success and how good he was, like you could even make a case for third. I, yeah, I well, for sure. Put it there, but, but yeah, but but he definitely, you know, you could make that case. But then again, yeah, I would say in fans' eyes and maybe you know even the team's eyes, yeah, he he could be outside the top ten. So it's a really weird one. And I think because yeah, his years with the Bulls were you know, larger disappointment. I mean, he he kind of came in from the ABA. He was one of the top. Um, he'd been one of the top you know five players in the ABA since he'd been in the league, and um, you know he was the prize of the um, uh, of the um, you know the. Uh, expansion draft, not the expansion draft, but whatever the term, the merger draft, whatever that uh, the term for that was, you know, he obviously uh, came in, the Bulls had the first pick, they selected him, um, you know, he was kind of, you know, there to turn the franchise around, and you know, they had a couple, you know, pretty good years, but you know, they never really, um, you know, they had kind of a tough time, you know, rebuilding after the, um, you know, the all the, the guys who were part of the early 70s team, you know, kind of got older or, or, you know, left the team. There wasn't much left beside, besides, you know, Gilmore and, you know, Van Leer. You had a couple of, of solid seasons there. And, um, you know, they, they had one kind of, you know, fairly good year after, you know, rebuilding with, you know, like, a, you know, young Reggie Theus and, you know, a, a couple other guys. But that team, you know, for whatever reason, kind of fell apart really quickly. And, you know, then things were bad up until Jordan came along. So, um, yeah, I mean, he kind of reflects a disappointing era. So, um, so, so that, that hurts him, but yeah. that, that's, that's kind of the sucky thing about this is because, yeah, I mean, he, obviously he was amazing in the ABA. He's one of the greatest ABA players of all time, but there's nobody really there for, to push his legacy in the bulls. You know, he's not, his number isn't retired by the bulls. You know, he's not really considered uh, a hugely important player in, um, in franchise history. So that's, no. you know, obviously sucks for him. And, and, you know, obviously, hey, he's, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's, um, it took him a long time to be, be a Hall of Famer when, you know, he seems like when you look at his total career, yeah, so no, it seems I like should he should be a no doubter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he should have been in there, you know, first ballot or, you know, close to it, um, but didn't get in there for, you know, for a long time. So, yeah, it, 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 it kind of sucks that, you know, he's definitely, you know, another a top 50 contender if you consider his ABA career, but he also, you know, not uh, discussed in those terms. So, um, you know, multiple reasons for that. 
that. I mean, if he played for the NBA for a different team, um, you know, in the early 70s, you know, then he wouldn't have all of those problems. But definitely, you know, it, it definitely gets he looked he's looked upon very differently than somebody who, you know, ha- would have had the exact same resume, but would have you know, done it all for, you know, one or two franchises yeah. in, his, in his career. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, and, and like, you know, when it comes to the Bulls and you mentioned that, too, it was it was it was an idea of, oh, my God, there's finally hope for this, you know, destitute franchise or whatever. And then it's like, you know, it's artist Gilmore. He's still really good, but he's not like as good. So, you know, he gets the rigor right. artists, yeah. you know, uh, you know, nickname. And uh, it's always sad, too, because like they show his clip like in, in like the Bulls intro. And it's like, you know, artist Gilmore hitting like a, a really beautiful looking hook shot. And they pan the crowd. and There's like like seven people in the crowd. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> like, Jesus, like it was yeah. really bad there for a while. And he's kind of yeah. like the figurehead of like one of the, you know, the, the, the you know, not quite because they had their run in the 70s and yay, Bob Love and Norvland Lear and Jerry Sloan. And then like, here comes artists and it's like, oh, man. And then it's just like, you know, it does, doesn't work. And and yeah, it un- unfortunately kind of paints him as a bad picture. And yeah, unless the Bulls are going to really rally behind artist Gilmore, uh, he's never going to get really, I, I think, his proper due. Uh, sure. in, in league history and that kind of stinks but uh, he's not far off with the yeah. Spurs we should say too uh, pretty close with the Spurs to 12,387 minutes uh, played with the uh, the San Antonio Spurs as well which I think was kind of surprising but I think speaks yeah. more to like just his minutes load too that he's a guy who yeah. played as many minutes as he possibly could so uh, yeah he had some good years there too I mean yeah he was in his you know mid-30s by then but you know they had a couple years where they you know they they played the the um they played the um, Lakers pretty tough in the playoffs and, you know, had some had some good seasons before, you know, uh, Gervin aged out and, you know, and they had to rebuild. But yeah, but he definitely had a um, he had a solid run uh, there as well. So. Um, so uh, who do we have next? Next is Buck Williams. Talk Buck Williams here, 26th in all-time minutes, which I think is kind of surprising as well for somebody uh, like uh, of Buck Williams' stature. But he played a lot of minutes, man. New Jersey Nets, 23,100 minutes as a net. Uh, as we mentioned above, he is the Nets franchise leader in win shares. Three-time All-Star, 1982 Rookie of the Year, 1983 All-NBA team, four-time All-Defense. Like, he's got a really great resume, but unfortunately, like, importance of team history, I don't know that Buck Williams really has. I, I don't know. Maybe we'd... I, if there is any New Jersey Net fans out there, that like like legit like died in the wool New Jersey Nets fans, like maybe they could argue it. But uh, I think you know I think he has a strong case for third. As we mentioned, you know he's the best player on five different playoff teams. You know led the you know the best NBA net you know the best net Nets team in the NBA. You know prior to Jason Kidd, so I think that's worth something. But I think solidly behind, uh, very very solidly behind Jason Kidd and, and Julius Irving as far as importance in team history, which probably isn't right because he, he he did a lot for that franchise. But I think it more speaks to the franchise than than Buck Williams specifically. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean I, yeah, I think he was yeah he's a really good player, but um, obviously not a superstar. Um, you know never never reach the heights that those guys but yeah i mean third i, mean, I, I think it, honestly it's more about the franchise that somebody like buck williams really good player um but you know not a hall of famer not, not you know anybody outside of one all nba appearance who was really you know a big star the fact that he's your third best player in franchise history says something more about the team than anything but yeah we I mean, had some highlights um you know the nets in, in the uh, you know Two, three years in the early 80s actually were a pretty good team. Uh, they had the a big upset of the 84 Sixers. He has one of the big, uh, biggest uh, upsets in NBA history at, at that point. So you know, definitely had a strong year. Yeah, I think the Blazers years are really interesting to evaluate. You know, obviously he was traded there. Um, 1990 season, you know, was part of uh, two finals runs. Um, you know, he's... Um, 
you know, obviously took a, took kind of a back seat there, but you know had his most team success there. Uh, he's actually seventh in franchise history in win shares, which kind of surprised me. Eleventh overall in uh, minutes played, and he's kind of a hard one for me to really get a handle on on you know where kind of he would stand in terms of you know importance in team history because he's definitely. Um, He's definitely behind, you know, like a Clyde Drexler or Damian Lillard or, you know, Bill Walton or even, you know, somebody like Terry Porter, you know, or LaMarcus Aldridge. Like he's definitely not in the top five. And and then, you know, he's kind of competing with guys like, you know, Jerome Kersey, um, you know, Sabonis, uh, Rasheed Wallace. You know, even like a brand Roy, who obviously didn't have longevity, but was, you know, it was a, a stout player for a while. You know, he, he's kind of right along there. So, you know, I was a bottom half of the top 10, but it, it, kind of a hard one for me to judge. Yeah. And, and have you watched the uh, there was a documentary on NBA TV not that long ago about the uh, Blazers. Did you did you watch that one? Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. It's really good if you get a chance, and 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 definitely recommend it to anybody who's who's watching this um, or listening to this. I, I don't know where you can. I, I DVR like all it, NBA it, TV it, documentaries, it, but yeah. the, the '90s Blazers. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah focuses no, okay, on, yeah. On, on them specifically. It, you know, it touches yeah. a little briefly on the '70s and that sort of stuff. But most right. of the story is about you know the '90s Blazers and kind of how they you know didn't win the title. But uh, one of the things that that kind of made me sort of changed my opinion on Buck Williams is, is the interviews with all those guys where they talked about when they acquired Buck Williams in 1990, they were like, okay, now we're ready to go. And and the thing that really, I think, inspired them is that Buck was like, look, I'm here to win, man. So like, I don't care because they're thinking, oh man, how are we going to integrate this guy? You know, he scored 20 points a game. He's, he wants the ball in his hands and all that sort of stuff. And he, to his credit, was just like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Like, just, you know, use, like, integrate me into your team, but let's go out there and win. And obviously they reached, you know, un, un, you know unforeseen heights or makes two NBA finals as, as a member there. So and really his numbers do hold up. But I do wonder if like had he been on a different team in the last half a year or just stayed with the Nets or whatever, what we would think about him, because he does become like, as you said, kind of the third or fourth guy that you think of on those Blazers teams. But production wise, he's right up there with those guys and and, and in some cases even higher than those guys. So it definitely like hurts his kind of importance in team history because he takes a back seat. But I think he was, he was supremely important to them becoming, you know, what they were in those early you know 90s and, and, and making those two NBA finals runs. But um no, really, really good documentary, and yeah, I, I, get, I gained a lot of appreciation for Buck Williams uh, by watching that and hearing, you know, all those guys, you know, Clyde and 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 Cliff and Terry Porter and those talk about how Buck was like the guy that once they once he came in and once he was all bought in that they were like, oh man, like sky's the limit for this team. We're we're, we're ready to go, and 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 he really was, you know, tremendous asset to that team, and the success, you know, speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next we have Dan Issel, uh, 29th all time in NBA ABA minutes. Uh, he had um, 25,000 with the Nuggets, second in franchise history. Uh, two all star appearances with the Nuggets, one with the ABA, one with the NBA. Uh, he's the first in team history in uh, win shares. Also led the team along with David Thompson to the uh, 76 ABA finals, uh, their only finals appearance in either league. Um, you know, interesting in uh, importance in team history, and I'm I'm really surprised. Um, I'd forgotten that he only had two All Star appearances um, for, for the Nuggets, and part of that I think is because you know, as we talked about earlier, the center position um, you know was was so stacked, especially in the you know Western Conference at the time. You obviously have Kareem, um, you have um, you have Moses Malone for the years he was with the Rockets, and they were in the West. Um, 
you have, uh, you know, Bob Lanier, um, you know, a few other guys who are all, um, you know, competing for that. But even so, you know, I mean, he was a, you know, he was a strong player throughout the early, um, you know, even into the into 83 and 84. So you would be a little surprised he didn't get another all-star appearances, but he was you know, a really productive player on some teams that were um, really strong. So I, yeah, I would say right along with Alex English, you know, arguably number one, number two, you know, with David Thompson and Carmelo kind of right um, underneath it. Yeah. I think Thompson being the, the best player out of those guys at his peak, both the longevity, I would say, you know, English and Issel you know, mm-hmm. kind of right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with the Colonels, you know, uh, he is, um, you know, five-time All-Star all five seasons, you know, was Rookie of the Year in 71, led the team to their ABA championship in 75, led the league in scoring in his debut year and uh, average over 30 points per game his second year so and, and again as we talked about he and artists are kind of neck and neck in uh in team history not really much to add for that yeah no i, I think that uh it does it pretty yeah. well uh this is an interesting one here uh, a, a fun name to kind of debate here. All right, all right, one more thing i, I was oh, yeah, sorry unlike you know, unlike gilmore i do think because you know he's even though i, I think he's a little underrated um and the nuggets are obviously not necessarily you know a premier franchise that gets a lot of attention but i would say you know, obviously he's been retired by the team i think he's considered um you know, his importance in team history, I think, is considered with the Nuggets. He, he kind of lucked out because things went better for him in Denver or he stuck around in Denver for long enough where, you know, with Gilmore, didn't have the same experience with the Bulls. So I think, you know, Issel, I think his legacy, I think, uh, benefits from that where, you know, again, Gilmore's, I think, is hurt by that. You know, I think kind of a little bit of a difference there. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, it, it felt like, you know, artists kind of faded into obscurity in the NBA, which isn't quite right because obviously he didn't, whereas Issel felt like he just kind of, he jumped in the NBA and was still an important figure and was still well-known and was still kind of featured and all that sort of stuff where, where again, like even though their numbers may be pretty similar, artists might be a little bit higher. I, I'm right with you where it felt like Issel, you know, had more of a stamp in the NBA than artist Gilmore had, which, which again, if, whether fair or not, it, it definitely feels like that is, that is definitely the case. So sure. All right, let's move on here to a, a pretty interesting guy here, Paul Gasol. So 32, uh, 32nd in all-time minutes uh, for Paul Gasol. Uh, Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, only Memphis. He never played for the Vancouver Grizzlies, by the way, for people I, I did. I was kind of surprised by that, too. I felt like he maybe had one year in Vancouver, but no, no, no minutes in Vancouver, only Memphis. Uh, 16,904 minutes uh, for Paul Gasol. One-time All-Star. As as Memphis Grizzly, does that surprise you that he only made it one time, or or is it kind of makes sense given you know his his his, competing with you know your Dirks and your Kevin Garnett's and your Tim Duncan's and those sort of types in the Western Conference, but still only one in Memphis? That just seems kind of criminal, right? Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. Although, yeah, it, it did take a little while for him to emerge as like a really good player. I mean, you know, he was like solid his first couple of years, but it was like year four where he really became, a, you know, an excellent player and, and definitely worthy of also recognition. And, and as you mentioned, like, you know, he's he's dealing with, um, you know, he's behind obviously guys like Dirk, Kevin Garnett, you know, even um, you know Chris Webber. Um, you know, there, there was a really good crowd. A crop of power forwards um, at the time in the league and really, didn't really play center primarily until he went to the Lakers. So, um, so I, yeah, I can kind of see where the reason why he didn't quite get the, you know that recognition. Absolutely, but uh, otherwise, uh, 2002 NBA Rookie of the Year, uh, third in franchise win shares right now at 53.8. Uh, only brother Mark 77.4 and uh, Mike Conley. Uh, at seventy one point four, are higher than uh, than Gasol in uh, in in Memphis, you know, Grizzlies franchise history. As far as importance in team history, 
I mean, you could really argue one. You probably should argue one with him, but I would say he's solidly behind his brother. Uh, I, I think Mark has probably made a little bit more of a legacy uh, in Memphis than Powell did. Uh, I believe Mike Conley definitely I would put over uh, a Powell, and then definitely like Zach Randolph just for what he symbolized for that franchise coming to the franchise immediately kind of taking them to heights that they had never been to. You know, good playoff runs, and he's kind of the figurehead uh, of those playoff runs. But I'd say. I mean, in terms of production-wise, Gasol probably, or Paul Gasol should probably be number one, but I think, you know, when we talk about sentimental-wise or, or kind of the way that maybe fans would see it, I think he would probably be third or, or fourth. Uh, I think definitely behind guys like his brother, uh, Conley, and then maybe arguably, you know, Zach Randolph as well. Yeah, I think I put him ahead of Randolph, but I would put him behind his brother and, and Conley. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of thought he was in Memphis a little bit longer I, I, at first before I kind of looked at it uh, more closely. Um, so I would say that uh, you, given the longevity, given the you know, greater team success, although he did lead – um, Powell did lead the, the team to to its first you know success at all. Um, you know, and obviously they had a lot of bad years before you know they went to Memphis and before they got at all good. But that you know that was more fleeting and um, and, and you know the the uh, grit and grind era was much more um, sustained and obviously had a lot more fan support. So um, yeah, I, I think about third, I think is probably about right for him. And then, uh, of course, uh, Lakers, 15,326, just 326 minutes over here. Thank God he, uh, he got those minutes in there. Three-time All-Star, uh, three-time All-NBA as a Laker. The problem, though, is, you know, importance in team history, it's the Lakers. So, like, you know, uh, you know, a great legacy, helped them win two titles. But, like, yeah, Kareem, Magic, Kobe, Mike and Shaq, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain. Like, yeah, sorry. He's, 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 yeah. he's somewhere in the 10-15, I guess. But, like, at that point, Probably. you're just name and names you know what i mean like it's right yeah I, yeah i mean he's you know then you're talking about guys you know like yale goodrich or um you know or worthy you know the guy he's he's kind of in that club somewhere you know again maybe even 15 to 20 i, I would probably i would guess more you know 10 to 15 because i mean he was i think pretty clearly the second best player on the on the teams on on the you know late Tens Lakers teams, you know, behind Kobe. I mean, some people think he was even better than Kobe. I'm not going that far, but I mean, you know, he he was really good. He was really important to those teams, and um, so I, I yeah, I think he's definitely, as, you know, if he'd done it for almost any other franchise, he'd be one of their, you know, he'd be he'd be in their top five right. history for sure. But with the Lakers, you know, or the Celtics, basically, you know, he's not gonna not going to do that. No, definitely definitely not. So uh, we'll move on. Next guy here. Uh, we mentioned him a lot when we were talking about Ars Gilmore, but Chet Walker is a very interesting one as well. 104th in uh, in uh, all-time minutes. And I think it's pretty interesting. A lot of the other guys we mentioned are like top 30, top 15, you know, and that sort of thing. You know, Buck Williams, 26th. Dan Nissel, 29th. Paul Gasol, uh, 32nd. What was Ars Gilmore, 14th. You know, Elvin Hayes, 6th. Right. You know, Jason Kidd, 5th. Kareem, 1st. We have to go all the way to 104th uh, to get Chet Walker, but uh, he does he does do it here. Uh, Nats, uh, obviously the, uh, the Syracuse Nationals and the, the Philadelphia 76ers, 17,624 uh, minutes for Chet Walker in that franchise. Uh, while he's there, three-time All-Star, uh, 1967, of course, NBA champion. As far as his importance in team history, I mean, Curtis Harris might get upset, and I'm a little upset by it too, but like, I think he probably should be higher than he is, but I think most people would probably put him solidly behind, obviously, Julius Irving. I think solidly behind Charles Barkley. I think solidly behind Allen Iverson. 
I think you probably have to put him behind Wilt Chamberlain. And then you get guys like Dolph Shays and Hal Greer, who, again, have, I think, better cases than Chet Walker. It stinks because Chet is a very, very important part of that franchise's history, but they've had some pretty damn good players in their history. So it, it is tough to figure out where Chet would really stand. Yeah, I think if he'd been there longer, I, yeah, I, I would. You know, he would have obviously have a higher rank. I, I, I think you're right, you're about right on where you've got him. Yeah, I, I would say somewhere in the seven to ten range. I think he's behind. Yeah, I think he's clearly behind the guys that um, you named in terms of team history. I mean, even he's like around you know sort of like a Billy Cunningham um, level. Obviously, you know those those um, late sixties teams had a lot of really good players. Yeah. Um, there so um you know in terms of the 80s guys obviously moses didn't have a long run there but he obviously won the mvp and and was there for the champion for that championship although obviously uh walker was part of the 67 championship and one of the greatest teams of all time so um yeah i I would say somewhere kind of seven to ten range would would be where where i'm thinking uh, and then as far as the Bulls for uh, Chet Walker, 15,809 minutes played as a Chicago Bull, uh, four-time All-Star. Uh, interesting note here, never averaged less than 19 points per game uh, as a Chicago Bull, including his final season, 19.2 points per game. Uh, and he, of course, retires at age 34 pretty famously, uh, says, yep, eh, now I'm done with this thing. <laughs> this sucks. I'm out. So uh, leaves at age 34. Uh, third in Bulls all-time win shares at 67, trails only Jordan and Pippen. But his importance in team history, I mean, honestly, it's probably higher than artist Gilmore, but it's the same thing with artist Gilmore where it's like, they just get engulfed by the nineties and the two thousands bulls where I don't, I just don't know that many people really care, (laughs) really know or care about Chet Walker, which stinks. And again, like you have the guys, you know, like I mentioned, the Norm Van Leers, the Jerry Sloans and, and, and your Bob loves that I think chart a little bit higher than Chet Walker, which stinks because Chet Walker was a huge part of some very good Bulls teams and arguably one of the best parts of those entire teams. But, yeah, I think he's he I, I don't know where I'd rank him. Honestly, I, I think he's probably out of the entire conversation when we talk about this, which which, again, stinks similar to Philly. Yeah, I, this is another tough one. And, you know, we already talked about it with. um you know, we we already we already talked about it with uh, artists, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I think he probably was the best player on those you know early seventies Bulls teams, and obviously outside of the nineties teams, those are the teams that you know had the greatest success in you know franchise history. Uh, the first teams didn't really have any success, um, but you know they never won a championship, they never made a finals. You know they came close, but they so you know they were good, but not not that good. So. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of a shared credit between him and Van Leer and um, and those guys. So, yeah, I, I think he could be anywhere, you know, you could anywhere from like fourth or fifth to, you know, ninth to tenth. I mean, you, you kind of put him on that list. And, and, you know, again, for the reasons we've talked about, I think he's behind there in terms of people who how much people care about him. But again, you know, we don't care about how much people care about him. We care about how you know good he was and how genuinely important he was. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, I, I would say I would say you know, probably around fifth or sixth uh, for me. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's that's where he probably should be. And and I'm going to get in a bunch of arguments with Bulls fans. No, when, All right, well, when we I, can return to games, I'm going to find somebody and, and, and get an argument with them. about Artis Gilmore and Chet Walker, and I'll let you know how it goes. So. All right. Well, the, do that and let me uh, let me know how that goes. Yeah. I, you know, he, uh, <laughs> I was looking to see if I could find um, – I'm trying to find the single season leaders for win shares for 48 because I because uh, Chet randomly one year he had a season in which he um, let's see, he, he went from um, 
at age 30, he had, um, you know, 178 winters for 48. And then age 31, he had 268. He, he had a huge wow. leap. 268, 268 has to be like top 20 or 30 all time. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, maybe, maybe that's not quite right. But uh, basketball references, I'm not immediately fanatic. So maybe you can dig that one out. Yeah, let me, let me see. Let me, let me take a little bit of time here and, and see what I can do. I'll talk, about the, uh, I'll talk about Dave DeBusher in the meantime. So um, 131st all time in minutes. He barely crosses its threshold for two teams, but for the Pistons, he had 15,235 for the next 15,967. Um, was yeah, I think a lot of people forget that he played for the Pistons, uh, but he was a three-time All-Star there. He was probably most famously was like uh, you know player coach for the team at age twenty-five. Um, hey, but I you know, I think really you know in terms of legacy for team history, you know obviously there are the eighties Pistons, Isaiah Dumars, Lampier, you know um, pretty solidly I think behind those guys. Um, you know, looking at the 2000s teams with, you know, Billups, um, Rashid Wallace, um, and Ben Wallace for, frankly, probably more important than Rashid, uh, maybe even like a Tayshaun Prince. And then, you know, kind of guys who were big stars in eras where the team wasn't a big success, you know, Bob Lanier, Grant Hill, Dave Bing. Um, you know, I, I would say he's at best kind of in the, you know, Somewhere between the eight to ten range, maybe even outside of the uh, top ten. Any uh, any strong feelings about that? Yeah, it, it, he's a guy that like you know when you put in the notes there, David Bush, and I'm like, where the hell did they put all the Pistons? Huh, fifteen thousand minutes? Huh, like even you know very close to his Knicks minutes. But like when you talk about importance of like where he is, you know, in Knicks history and and his importance to that franchise's history and that franchise's success compared to the Pistons, it, it's pretty tough. But yeah, I think. I think solidly behind like almost everybody that we mentioned there. Isaiah Dumars, Lambeer, Billups, uh, Rashid slash Ben Wallace, uh, Tayshaun Prince, Bob Lanier, Grant Hill, Dave Bing. I guess you can you can put him in those mix, but like he he just doesn't feel like a Piston at all, right? Like, like he just has no legacy as a Detroit Piston. So um, yeah. I don't know well, whether right yeah. or wrong. It's just, uh, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, wow, David Busher played a lot of minutes at Detroit. I right. never oh, knew yeah. that or cared or never. I don't know. It's just strange. Yeah. I, and, you know, he. He went to high school in Detroit. He, you know, played college in Detroit, so he does have a Detroit background, obviously. But, um, but yeah, you know, and the franchise was you know, pretty bad in the '60s for the for the most part. So, not you know, again, not much of a legacy there. Um, obviously, changes with the Knicks. He's he's part of. Um, you know, uh, you know, the great Knicks teams of the early '70s. Uh, was a five-time All-Star with the franchise, two championships. Um, but yeah, but then where he kind of fits there is, is interesting because much like the 70s Bulls, but obviously with greater team success, you know, those Knicks are thought of as, you know, a, a lot of, you know, really good players who were part of that. Obviously, um, you know, Frazier and Reed and, you know, um, Bill Bradley and later Earl Monroe and, um, you know, the other the other key guys who are part of that, um, Lucas and um and those guys and uh you know and then you know in terms of the great players in team history obviously i think patrick ewing i think for most people is number one um and and then you know you've got guys who were there uh you know early 50s guys uh you know who aren't you know considered that important in team history but you know to us you know um gallatin or carl braun um you know more modern guys like carmelo you know there aren't a lot of huge great periods uh you know unfortunately for the for the franchise in nick's history where you can kind of go to so but so i i would say top 10 but definitely bottom half of the um uh, of the top 10 overall 
Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, that's a pro- about where I put him. And yeah, it's it's again like a guy who I think he runs into the issue of you know there are some some guys that I think have like you know profound like Knicks legacies like you said like a Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, even like a Patrick Ewing type. So you ne- I don't know that you could ever compete with those guys. But then like the rest of the guys after those are just kind of a big list of dudes. You know what I mean? Where I think I think you can make a case for him in, in, in that list as well. You know, and 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 several other guys that that, that you mentioned. So I'm 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 right with you on that. But I think that's about. Uh, where his ranking should be. Uh, an update on the Chet Walker uh, season. That's uh, 55th all time in, oh, in, okay. in a single season. So pretty good. Uh, okay. As you mentioned, uh, this Kareem Abdul-Jabbar guy, pretty good. He's got the top two. Uh, he's got three of the top four uh, yeah. all-time win shares. His top season, uh, 1972, uh, 0.340 for that. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Will, Will, probably, Will probably has a lot of those in Jordan as a lot. I'm, I'm sure it's probably a small number of guys who um, – have had you know better seasons than that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Like really quickly, just glancing over the names: it's Kareem, Wilt, LeBron, Jordan, Curry, uh, David Robinson, Kevin Durant, Giannis, Chris Paul, uh, David Robinson, James Harden, uh, Larry Faust, Dirk, Oscar Robertson, Anthony Davis, Kevin Garnett, Magic, uh, Barkley, Mickelson, Malone, Rudy Gobert, and then Chet Walker. So yeah, okay. It, I mean, right. we're talking. You know, those are all time greats yeah. there. So, and Rudy Gobert. yes, uh, and, and yeah, we're all time, all time legends, yeah. and also Rudy Gobert's on the list Gobert. too. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So now we have. So I, I is that I believe it's nine players who have met our threshold, and there's a tenth player who could get there, but I'm guessing probably won't. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge um, for the Blazers, twenty two thousand nine hundred seventy two minutes, third in team history. For the Spurs, uh, he has. Um, Slightly over 11,500 minutes. Uh, he could get there with three more seasons of averaging 1,200 minutes you know, per season, which seems doable. However, he's a free agent um, after the 21 season. So I don't know. Do, do we think the Spurs are going to sign up for a few more through Lamar Gasol's <laughs> experience? Or, you know, is that, uh, does that seem like. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, but <laughs> they I, might, I think. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think. Uh... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. The Spurs are weird now. I I, I have no good read on, on what the Spurs do uh, yeah. anymore. But I, I mean, he really just wants to be there as like a guy who you know is is a role player and plays there for cheap. He wants to play for the for cheap, maybe you know. But he's thirty four. You know, I mean, uh, he's you know he's still a you know solid player, but not but not you know a really good one. I, I guess he averaged. Um, you know, I guess he's still averaging. Uh, eighteen point nine points per game, and so shoots it all right. So maybe he's all right. You know, he's averaging thirty nine percent from three this year. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. So maybe they're just fine with you know he's, he's the baseline yeah. that you're going to give for Marcus Aldridge is I guess you know finally shooting three, shooting three game this year. I didn't uh, didn't realize that. I hadn't played too close of attention with Spurs uh, this season for whatever reason. So anyway, so he's the only guy who active player who's has any chance of um, getting there, but it's um, but it's super unlikely. Just uh, a few guys who came. Extremely Extremely close, but not quite. Will Chamberlain um, got there with the Warriors, but was 185 minutes short with the uh, Lakers. Uh, Carmelo uh, got there with the Nuggets, but 187 minutes short with the uh, Knicks. As you point out here, it's not impossible that Melo finds his way back on the Knicks. <laughs> I mean, it gets 187 minutes. So, yeah. Of all the franchises that would reacquire Carmelo Anthony and, and allow him to get this, 
it's the New York Knicks. So, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. hope. There's hope there. And 187 minutes, that's like not, I mean, you could definitely get that. That's like, hey, Carmelo, you're the missing piece. And then he, you know, bricks a bunch of threes and they go, actually, never mind. You're not the missing piece. But he still gets that minutes limit. So uh, hopefully we can update this in, in, in future years and add Carmelo to there. It's not impossible. I will say that. It is not impossible. Wilt, that's going to be tough. I don't think that's going to happen with Wilt, but I do think Carmelo is a possibility. So <laughs> probably not. Wilt's going to be a tough for, get. Yeah. Wilt's a tough for, get these days. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Larry Nance, um, just over 15,000 with the Suns and 34 minutes short with the Cavs. Okay, we can do this. We can do this. <laughs> like, yeah. think about it. It's the Cavs. They stink. Who cares anyway, right? Right, right. They have his son playing on the team. Right. I mean, everybody loves Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. being on the same team, and everyone's right. waiting for LeBron and Bronny. Well, the Cavs could do it. They can get out ahead of this LeBron thing and say, ah, you know what? Yeah. Who cares about Bron and Bronny? We got Larry Nance Jr., Larry Nance Sr., baby. Yeah. Let's go. Larry 34 Andrew. minutes? That's yeah. one night. You know what I mean? That We're fine. He's, yeah, he's 61. It'd be a rough night. He, he needs some ice afterwards, <laughs> but I think we can do that. Yeah. Or, you know, split that up into five. You know, No, one night. <laughs> Larry Nance <laughs> night. Yeah, right. Thirty-four minutes. Yeah, he's like, right. guys, I'm I'm like above sixty, and I haven't played basketball right. in twenty-five years. But you know, hey. yeah, thirty-four minutes. I mean, you could run up and down the court thirty-four minutes. Come on. Yeah, right. Uh, I and then, but he killed. I'm sure he's no, in better shape than I am. So. Yeah, hey, exactly. And then uh, and then Jeff Hornacek, uh, two hundred and seventy minutes short with the Jazz, and six hundred and twenty minutes short with the uh, Suns. I'm not doing that. Yeah, it's that's no, yeah, that's no, tough. not, not going to happen. Yeah. So. Um, all right. So other franchises, um, uh, just I, I want to hit a few that surprised me with. Um, I, we'll just talk about the numbers and then a few that were really big surprises. Um, the the Hawks have 17 who have reached that threshold. My biggest surprises were Bill Bridges and Josh Smith. Uh, I don't know how I didn't realize that 23,000 minutes of Josh Smith uh, enduring that with as my Hawks fandom, but that, man, that's a, that's a lot of minutes. Yeah. I was, um, I was kind of surprised by that uh, as, as well, but um, yeah, <laughs> those names are kind of, I, I get, man, Josh Smith. It just seems like, right. yeah. I love time. Josh Smith, but he did, I guess he did play there a long time, but it's just like, yeah. yeah, it's just I don't know. Oh, it was yeah for a while I loved him, and then it just became tough to endure uh, the way that he played. But um, anyway, the Celtics twenty one players. Um, I was slightly surprised that Robert Parrish had more Celtics minutes than Larry Bird, only by like five hundred, mm-hmm. but, but still surprised by that. So yeah, yeah, that that did catch me a little bit as well. Not that Robert Parrish has more career minutes because obviously played until he was forty nine oh, yeah, right. years old, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but to have more Celtics for minutes Celtics. than Larry Bird is is definitely surprising. So the Cavs uh, have nine players. Uh, Danny Furry is a slight surprise there, but not I guess not mm-hmm. really. Uh, the uh, the Charlotte franchise at four players. No one was really a big surprise there. The Pacers, sixteen players. Biggest surprise: Vern Fleming. Yeah, what <laughs> you made this up? This is impossible. Uh, almost twenty three thousand minutes, third in franchise no, history. He didn't. No, it, he didn't. There's no way. Had you heard of Vern Fleming? Honestly, had you heard of Vern Fleming before we? Uh, uh, I've heard the name, but like I've never thought of like I've heard so, I've heard the name or I've seen the name, but I've never once given it more than like two seconds of thought. So I I hope you're going to let me know all about Vern Fleming right here right now. Well, you know, I tried searching for Vern Fleming on YouTube, and you get basically nothing. <laughs> there. <laughs> 
There's an alleged uh, game-winning shot that, that turns out to be nothing. Uh, that's a that's a false. Uh, oh, what's the um, video? <laughs> like, uh, it's just randomly like he's going for a layup or something, and then it cuts off. So um, <laughs> it, it's at some really, point in that game he had the game winner. This isn't the game uh, winner, but apparently, uh, yes, yeah, um, <laughs> it apparently got them in the playoffs. I was confused by it, so uh, I moved on. Yes, he was a gold medalist on the '84 Olympic team. I uh, had 12 seasons with the play, the Pacers from '85 to '95. Uh, actually, you know. Mostly a starter, averaged 13.6 points per game his first seven seasons. So, you know, played a decent amount. Yeah. Uh, came off the bench in his later careers from 92 to 95. Um, the Pacers missed the playoffs four out of his five first seasons, then lost in the first round four straight years. But they finally made the Eastern Conference Finals in his final two Pacers seasons. So, you know, the team got better as he you know, came along. Obviously, Reggie Miller um, came of age and they had the Davises and, um, and Rick Smiths and all that. Uh, basically, you know, he was a guy, he played NBA basketball pretty competently for a solid period of time, you know, 15.1 career PER, which is, you know, pretty much average, pretty much, you know, you look at every, you know, stat uh, that a guard can have, you know, advanced or otherwise pretty much just average for, uh, a guard in every respect. He was good enough to start for an okay to good NBA team for seven years and not get replaced, but he was never good enough to be honored by the league for pretty much anything outside of having one player of the week award in the 1990 season. So that is Vern Fleming. <laughs> Vern he existed. Fleming. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at pictures of Vern Fleming. I think I might have a Vern Fleming uh, basketball card and that's how I, I oh, I'm looking at this yeah. card and like, I distinctly remember this card and that I think is the only memory in my brain I have of, of Vern Fleming, but yeah, what a uh, very innocuous NBA his, uh, player that somehow yeah, played a I mean, lot of minutes on a pretty good team for right. a lot of time. So good for him. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much anything that I could have known about the Pacers <laughs> from that era are basically blocked by Dick Versace. If you know, getting a, if you look at a photo of Dick Versace, you know, pretty much just blocks anything <laughs> else that I could possibly remember about, you know, late eighties Pacers. So there you are. Uh, then the Braves Clippers, uh, they have six, uh, Lloyd Vaught, kind of a surprise, but again, you know, I, you kind of know that he's one of the guys who, you know, stuck around right. during it's this a time. Shit franchise that nobody wanted to ever be with. So like, right. The, I'm actually surprised there's six people that actually hit the list, but right, you know, obviously yeah. two of the, two of the, you know, two are, are of recent vintage. Of course, your DeAndre Jordans, your Blake Griffins. Uh, the other two are, you know, Elton Brand and Corey McGetty from that era. And then, you know, Randy Smith and Lloyd Vaught. But I just love that. Like, again, yeah. nobody in the last half of the 80s, nobody but Vaught in the 90s. Like, just this, what a dumpster fire that franchise was for so long. Okay. Nobody. The, they were out forever. <laughs> Six people. The uh, the Heat had four, no surprises. The Wolves had four. Not not a really big surprise, but Andrew Wiggins was third and Doug West was fourth. Uh, also, you know, just obviously not a great franchise, um, you know, in the past. Uh, <laughs> You're good. You're good. You, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, New Orleans franchise, no one of note. Uh, the Thunder Sonics, you know, franchise, uh, there's 12 overall. No one individually that was a surprise. Um, worth noting that Kevin Durant and Nick Collison are the only ones who played for both franchises. If you consider them separate histories, um, Collison had seven, uh, about, about 7,400 of his minutes were with the uh, Sonics. So, you know, um, more of them with the Thunder, but a significant chunk with the um, Sonics. If you split them up, he wouldn't be on the list. Not that we would be totally missing Nick Collison from this list if we had to think. Yeah, we could probably just lie and say that he, you know, <laughs> just take off right. the list. I don't think anybody would care. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, the Magic at five. Um, 
no one a big surprise. The Royals Kings with uh, 12. Uh, probably the biggest surprise there would be the last choice with Eddie Johnson, who I don't really think of as primarily a no. king, even though he did the majority of his career there. I think of him, I guess, as more, more of a son. Yeah, and I, I think another thing, too, is I'm kind of a little bit surprised by the, the amount of people that fit the criteria for, for that franchise. It's not a success, you know, not a team that or a franchise really that had has had a lot of success, but guys do hang around and they also have been around a long ass time too, which it helps accumulate that, those numbers. But still, I was kind of surprised that twelve people, you know, hit that. So, yeah, and the only thing is that I would initially agree with you, but then if you look at the eight original franchises, it's significantly less than any of the rest of them. Like the Knicks had sixteen, uh, the Hawks had seventeen, all the other teams were um, were above eighteen. So. Um, you know, it's significantly less than the, you know, all the other franchises that have been around. You know, basically during that during that time. Uh, the, the Spurs at ten. The biggest surprise is kind of Mike Mitchell uh, was tenth, uh, but not really. Again, not really a huge surprise. Um, the Raptors at five. Uh, the Jazz uh, had thirteen, which you know, for a team that has you know, not been around as long as some of these other ones. At kind of a high number. Uh, the biggest surprise to me was Thurl Bailey, who had over twenty thousand and was fifth in uh, franchise history. Not not a guy that I always you know. He's kind of like a random name from like the you know the the eighties and early nineties Jazz, but not somebody who I you know, kind of think of in in necessarily the same way as you know some of the other names. Yeah, for, for him being as high as he was, you know, fifth, I think, is is probably surprising. But the Jazz having, you know, 13 uh, guys that meet this criteria, not. Because it feels like those guys that stay in, in Utah stay there for a very, very, very long time. So, yeah, again, not, right. not a huge surprise. So Yeah, exactly. And the the last uh, last bit of trivia that we'll, we'll close out with, um, we're running a little bit long here, but uh, there are players who uh, had more than 35,000 career minutes but did not get 15,000 with a single team. There are five players who meet that criteria. Um, Andre Miller, uh, who had his most with the Nuggets, uh, almost 14,000 minutes. Uh, Jamal Crawford, who um, had most with the Knicks with 11,000 and the Clippers with over 10,000, presumably will add to his career total with the Nets in the 2020 bubble season. He's been, he's been signed, so Jamal is back, baby. That's the best thing about the bubble season if it happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't um, know. I don't know about his minutes load <laughs> in the bubble, I, but uh, I'm hoping. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll see how uh, how, yeah. how it goes with the Nets. That's all we need. Yeah, fifteen thousand minutes with the Nets to do it, but I, I'm confident. <laughs> I'm a little sad that he won't close his career with a fifty point game, but hey, he might be able to do it. You never know. I mean, he might be you able to get fifteen. That. Yeah, you don't know that. Hold on a minute. Don't assume. <laughs> yeah, I won't. Uh, Walt Bellamy, um, who had a significant uh, career totals with the the now Wizards franchise and the Hawks, uh, Takemi Mutombo, uh, who almost got there with the uh, the Nuggets, uh, was less than. Uh, with less than 600 minutes away from that with the Nuggets and uh, about 12,000 with the Hawks. And then Caldwell Jones, uh, who had uh, almost 14,000 with the uh, Sixers, played for a lot of franchises in, in his career. So there you yeah, go. So fun, fun little topic here. I enjoyed this. And it's an exploration into uh, to, to some players. I, I love this idea of kind of talking about guys and where they where they fit in, like the franchise legacy and the franchise history or whatever. So that's a, a really cool aspect of doing this this research here. But yeah, fun, fun names and, and fun topics. So. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rich. Uh, hopefully everyone else um, enjoyed it. And uh, if you do, you uh, you can let us know on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. Um, 
And if you like what we're doing, feel free to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on pretty much all of the podcast services by searching for Over and Back. If we're not on your favorite one, let us know and we'll try to get on there. Uh, as Rich talked about at the top of the show, we're trying to get all of our episodes back up on the archives. You should be seeing some of those drop periodically uh, here soon. So hopefully you'll enjoy uh, those if you haven't listened to them or if you haven't listened to them in a long time. But uh, anyway... Um, you check them out and we're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.